Hello and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And today we are setting a foot into Season 3 proper with Huntara after the kind of underwhelming setup episode last week. Yes, we're really barreling in guns blazing with uh, Huntara, starring the titular Huntara. This is uh, Huntara, all about Huntara. Yes, and those of you might be wondering, well, who's Huntara? Well, she is a gigantic purple orc lady who can throw a fully grown woman about 75 feet, and she uses a big, spiky, like, retractable sword thing, and she's basically the baddest black in the wasteland. She rules the Crimson Waste because everyone is so frightened of her that they cannot stand up to her. That's how bad she is. Yes. And uh, Huntara is voiced by Gina Davis. Um, If you don't know that name, you probably know her face. She is, without a doubt, the, uh, the biggest voice actor in the show. The only other person who might rival her is probably Sandra Oh, which casts a spell. So Gina Davis is a fairly well-known character actor um she she's been in a lot of stuff she was in beetlejuice she was in the goldbloom fly um she is thelma in thelma and louise so you know a lot of a lot of great classic films out there she's in a league of their own uh you will also find that she plays the mother in uh the Stuart little trilogy yes that's really her her seminal role i would say yeah, what what most people uh, would would maybe know her for these days, uh, you know, she's also in in some some TV shows. She's just like a she's like a really solid character actor, um, and she does a great job in this show as Huntara. Yes, she she takes it with flying colors. Frankly, it is a fantastic performance. She's got like this like kind of gravelly register but like it's not like so gravelly it's just it's like this this very very like tough girl attitude and but like not in like you have you have um a couple of like side characters who are kind of like you know trying to be big and bad but like the thing with huntara she just is big and bad she doesn't have to like play it up she's just like yeah i could bench 17 people and it's not a big deal yeah she stands head and shoulders above everyone else in the wastes quite literally oh very literally so uh we'll, we'll talk about her introduction scene uh here in a minute i guess but you know we we just start off with the setup for this episode being that they're they're heading into the crimson waste to find this signal uh they didn't tell angela about this apparently and they seem woefully underprepared to navigate a desert yeah, probably part of the reason they didn't tell Angela is that the Crimson Waste is pretty hostile and has a reputation for being inhospitable to human life. Yeah, both the Horde and the Rebellion uh, have, they think that the Crimson Waste is entirely uninhabited by, like, intelligent life. It's all just beasts, as, as far as the eye could see, beasts and hostile desert. Um, but pretty quickly it turns out that this is not the case. No, yeah. So after they spend about, you know, a good 
five, six minutes, just kind of bumbling around in the desert, getting stuck in quicksand. And oh, we, I do want to talk about the, the the quicksand scene. Might be one of my favorite, just sort of single gags in the whole show. Because um, I mean, the, the, it's it's part of a, a sort of montage where they're just stumbling through the desert, being chased by an, a very adorable three headed snake. I might add. Yeah, really, really cute little hydra. But, like, at one point, Glimmer just walks forward and falls right through a puddle of quicksand. Which, by the way, is how quicksand actually works. It's not like a slow mud thing. It's called quicksand because you fall in very quickly. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the prime danger presented in most children's cartoons is quicksand. Um, and and this, this show is no different. But uh, so, so Glimmer falls in, Adora immediately dives in after her, but then Glimmer just teleports out um without adora and then has to teleport back in to get her and there's just like three seconds of like them fumbling around in the quicksand before coming back out it's just very funny yeah no it's really really good and then immediately after this they're like oh there's something over there and adora just kind of turns to the side and like she uses her hands as binoculars and but just kind of reaches in from from stage stage right and just hands her a uh, pair of binoculars and then off in the like to the side just is his thumbs up it's it's very very good there's a lot of adora gags in this one yeah this this episode is both very funny and also considerably more violent than your usual episode of the show i think the only one that really brought it harder in terms of the the action is maybe battle of bright moon because specifically with that, I'm thinking of the part where Catra like scratches the door on the back, and you just see the bright red claw marks on the, on the black background. Yeah, no, I would say that this episode is probably up there in like top five most like violent sheer episodes. It's not like terrible or nothing. Like I, I would say, I, I would say it's like it's pretty, it's pretty like tame by like just television standards. But as far as this this show is concerned, like people do get the snot beaten out of them a little bit and uh there is just a dead guy like there's just a whole skeleton yeah we see a skeleton that's our skeletor cameo everyone he's here um he lost a bit of weight he lost all of that blue muscle he's mostly made of he's just a skull now yeah he's just a skull now which is which is unfortunate for him um but yeah it's not the, the violence is not a place or anything in fact it fits very well in an episode about the like the the wretched hive of scum and villainy uh, of Etheria, which is the the crimson wastes lots of headbutts lots of like antara breaks a bottle over some guy's head like it's off screen but it's clearly what she does like yeah they edit around it very well you hear like the bottle crack and then it cuts to her holding the bottle by the handle as you do when you've just broken it over something and then the guy standing in front of her falls on the floor unconscious yeah, no, that dude is uh, out like a light, as they say. Um, but that should bring us into the, the sort of part where the gang heads into this cantina that they find, uh, realizing that, oh, wait, this place isn't uninhabited at all. It's just scary. Yeah, it's just very scary and full of lots and lots of criminals. Lots of criminals, lots of furries. This is mostly where the furry community of Etheria seems to be uh, concentrated yeah no there there's there's quite a lot of animal people hanging around you got a frog you got a goat you got like like a beetle person i think there's like some chitinous folk 
there's just quite a few of them hanging around, really. Bunch of lizards, you know, naturally, it's the desert. And, uh, yes, yeah, so they, they, they go about, quote-unquote, acting tough, uh, which means that Adora just, like, stands up. Like, everyone is giving them the stink eye. Everyone is, everyone is basically sizing them up for how much loot they can get off of them and how easy it would be to bury the bodies in this bar. And then Adora just stands on the bar and just, like, very politely asks everyone for help. Yeah, no, but she, but listen, she does it in, like, a slightly terse voice, so that's how you know that she's being tough. And just immediately gets yanked down by this goat lady. Um, so we don't, we don't care for outsiders around here, uh, but that's when Huntara does the bottle thing, and then they meet Huntara, and Adora, boy, Adora likes Huntara. No, yeah, she is just immediately enamored with Huntara. She's just like, we have to get her on our team. We have to. Listen, listen, hear me out, all right? I know she's, like, big and scary. I, I understand. This is, like, you know, you're, you're raising some valid concerns here with, with the whole thing. However, consider the following. Big muscles. Yeah, she just immediately develops a huge crush on Huntara, while Bo and Glimmer are very frightened of her because she is very large and very scary. Um, but Adora doesn't care about any of that. No, yeah. Unfortunately, um, Adora's pretty gay, so she's she's gonna, like, she's gonna be trying to impress and and just hang out with Huntara for the first act of this entire episode, really. I do like that throughout the show we do get a few moments that establish that Adora's type is just sort of big muscles. Yeah. Because there's a scene later on in season four that also reinforces that, which is very funny when you think about some of the things at the end of the show. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, Huntara, so Huntara is is just trying to chill at this bar. Um, She's obviously flirting with this bartender who is also a big buff cow lady. There's just a lot of there's so many buff ladies in this episode. So many buff ladies in this show, frankly, and God bless. Um, and they basically just pester Huntara into taking them along and serving as their guide. Yes. I mean, she she's very much like, I do not want to go with you whatsoever, but you're probably just going to die if I don't, so I guess I'm going with you. Um, of course, you know, it turns out, all a grift it's a big grift they're just they're they're getting taken for a ride pretty much literally yeah but they don't know that yet uh because first we have to have a a fun time where Bo and glimmer just like arguing and like it's it's very very funny because they are functionally just third wheeling on a very small date between huntara and adora and they're just like we're trying to be supportive we gotta be supportive and they're just like arguing about whether or not they should say something and meanwhile huntara is just like they're really loud huh yeah like adora is constantly trying to impress huntara with like her her action and survival prowess uh to varying degrees of success Sorry, I just have the I have the uh, I have the like episode. We we like we usually keep the episode on in the background, silence, just to sort of serve as a visual aid. Um, and I do the, the I do just want to really point out the part where they're talking with Huntara. They they've already interrupted her like flirting with this bartender and like sat down at her table. And Huntara like looks towards her, and Glimmer's head just pops up to interrupt her her line of sight. It's very funny. It's really, really good. There's another there's another shot that I also really, really like where she's just like 
gets she just gets picked up and put in the chair. <laughs> yeah, like Hantara just picks Adora up and just like puts her down in the chair. Adora doesn't move at all. She doesn't even change so. her expression. She's just like smiling. <laughs> she's she's very okay with this. She's she's not have a problem. She's Adora as a cup is held. Um Yeah. But yeah, the so in in general this episode looks a lot better than the price of power did because obviously like there's stuff that happens in this episode um and you know not just people standing around and talking yeah it looks a lot better but it is still a little bit rough in some parts like um there's a big sword fight actually um that we'll get to a little later that is just it's it's there's just a little bit of roughness around the edges that you just don't see in the latter half of this season so again i think like we were talking about like the budget was definitely like really heavily weighted to like the back half of season three which makes sense considering all the stuff that happens in the back half of season three yeah exactly um this episode looks pretty good though Uh, weirdly enough the best looking stuff in this episode is probably the slapstick of which there is quite a lot of, of slapstick comedy in this episode. There's a lot of slapstick. Like, there's a ton of gags in this, actually. Like, this is a very gag-heavy episode, which is really funny. Um, there is one thing I do want to point out, though, that I do not understand, and that is not explained in any detail by any character. Then they just all know this is a thing you can do. It's, you can just You can just find a rock... In the crimson waste, and you you can just kick the top of it. It has to be a pointy rock. You just kick the top off of it, and you turn upside down, and it, it floats in the air. And then you can put any stick on top of it, and it turns, and it also floats and turns into a compass. Yeah, everyone everyone can just do that. Adora kicks a rock in half in her regular form, like normal human. To to be fair, to be fair, if it was like sandstone or whatever then that's like you can do that but that being said it doesn't explain the levitation and the instant compass making magic it's like uh it's magic it's just uh it's really it's really 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 funny it's just like it's it's the fact that they just do it and it is not set up at all and nobody talks about it like nobody's like oh i have an idea it's just like nope this is this is normal i kind of like that that's just sort of a thing that they uh that they do they, they just know how to do it's not even remarked upon at all um so as they're as they're sort of trekking through the the crimson wastes um huntara keeps like kind of hinting at her at her real backstory here and it's constantly talking about how she like she doesn't run from anything she's not scared of anything she's very adamant about those two things but they she's leading them supposedly to the center of the crimson waste where the signal is being emanated from uh but actually she just leads them into like a weird giant sundial like this is never really remarked upon there's just a gigantic sundial in the middle of the in like the the crimson wastes yeah like presumably that it was just built at some point by people who lived in the crimson waste like very like sort of ancient civilization yeah yeah it's again it's one of those things it's a little bit it's a little bit weird not really explained but oh well so but oops it's a trap they all get you know paralyzing darts uh, and get tossed into a hole and all of their stuff gets stolen 
Because uh, you're not supposed to trust anyone in the Crimson Waste. Antara said that, and that includes her. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll go back to the, 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 the conclusion to that plotline in a minute, because the B story in this episode is also very good. Yes, the B story is fantastic. So, B story is that Entrapped in Hornak, they're still working on that portal thing, but they just can't get it to stabilize and actually open a portal. It keeps blowing up. And Hordak is, you know, he, as usually, gets very angry and emo about it. Um, you know, it blows up. He he saves Entrapta from getting, you know, blown to smithereens by this thing. Uh, but he's he's sulking in his lair as he is wont to do, right? Um, but Entrapta can't stop thinking about why it doesn't work. He's like, Hordak says, just give up, it won't work. But Entrapta's like, no, it definitely should work. So she's skulking around uh, his lab. And she finds a really, really fucked-up-looking baby in a tube. Yeah, she finds this really messed-up baby in a tube, and she doesn't really understand what the deal with it is. Um, but before she can really start thinking about it too heavily, um, she sees Hordak kind of um, taking bits of his armor off and clearly, like, in a lot of pain and, and very upset. And her and Emily are like, you know what? We should probably leave. Unfortunately for Entrapta... Um, it seems for her, generally speaking, every time she attempts to be sneaky, that is when she is the least sneaky. Well, what happen- like what happens is yeah, she uh, <laughs> she like steps on a wire or a cable or something, and then just some kind of chain reaction happens where a bunch of stuff rattles around in her raft in the rafters, then a huge piece of shrapnel just crashes onto the floor. Yeah, just a real Rube Goldbergian series of events leading to a massive crash, and then he just looks over and she's standing awkwardly by the door. <laughs> uh, hi. <laughs> and of course he's like, get out, you know, he, he says his, his famous catchphrase, uh, but then he passes out. It's Now, is this the first time we fully see him clearly out of his armor? I th- I think so. I think this is the first time he's been fully out of his armor. Like, we've seen like glimpses here and there. I think we may have even seen like his weird like up forearms before, like just really briefly. But this is the first time we actually see like all the scarring and like how gaunt he is. Yeah, like we we've seen we've definitely seen the arm thing before. Like he's he's got these holes in his arm where the skin should be. Um, yeah, his whole deal is just really quite messed up. He's he's very gaunt. He's, there's like tubing like uh things all over him where you would insert tubes for something um he's obviously just in a whole lot of pain um and so when he after he passes out he wakes up just swaddled in a blanket and entrapped has made some soup yes she's made like seven tiny soups that she is trying to uh she's trying to like you know here comes the plane with like seven separate spoons all in her hair and he's just like pouting like no i don't want any soup i don't want it yeah like he literally like goes ah like like a baby like he means he's ah like it's um and he and she's just basically sitting there staring at him he's like we're not talking about this we're not gonna talk about it (laughs) he's just like we're not discussing this (laughs) it's really really good he can't he can't he can't do emotions all right it's, no it's not, it's not in his it's not in the emo playbook okay he's supposed to sulk and pout and that's it 
But then Entrapped was like, oh, no, 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 you're not wriggling out of this one. You're going to tell me everything. And so he does. And we learn a lot about Hordak in this scene. Um, so let's, let's dig in here. First of all, this, like, flashback is animated in a very different style. It's kind of like this minimalist cutout style where everyone is a silhouette and it's all very, very uh, high contrast colors. It's very striking. Yeah, it's a really striking style. It's like this very interesting like combination of like there's like the 3D assets in it and then there's also this like I guess like po- like posterized kind of look to it also. Like it all kind of looks like almost like a a horde recruitment poster come to life. It's all very stark and and high contrast. It, it reminds me actually a lot of uh, Gendy Targatovsky's like background painting work, um, especially in like uh, Samurai Jack and uh, that original Clone Wars cartoon, like those backgrounds look really, really, really similar to this. Yeah. Oh man, those shows look so good. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. So basically, Hordak tells her that he is a clone of the the Emperor of the Known Universe, Horde Prime. The uh, the, the the leader of the actual horde, the galactic horde. Um, he was he says that he was Prime's like top general, but there were with all of his defects, he was deemed unworthy to you know rule at his side. So Prime basically tossed him uh, onto the front lines to die, but somehow he fell through a portal and found himself on Etheria with nothing but like a crashed ship. Um, and that's what he built the fright zone out of, basically. And he has he has no uh, adverse psychological effects from any of that. No, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. No problems. Don't even worry about it. But yeah, so he he got just unceremoniously dumped on the planet, um, and he he built himself an empire, and and he's trying to really do all this to Im- impress Big Bro. But, you know, he's he's having a little bit of trouble, right? Like, his portal machine doesn't work. He hasn't finished conquering the planet. You know, things just aren't looking... He can't even clone himself he a He can't new even body. clone himself a new body. Like, it's just not working out super hot for Hordak. And, you know, he even starts to kind of falter at the end of this conversation. He's like, you know, maybe, maybe he was right. Maybe I am a failure. And, uh, let's... let's go back to the to the to the huntara the the a plot for a little bit here because there's some strong parallels between adora and hordak in this episode um which is interesting those are not two characters that have really been sort of connected like that before no yeah it's like it's really interesting like these are definitely not two characters that like on their face you would really like be like oh yeah they've got some similarities because you know they're diametrically opposed from each other they're like wildly different in personality but circumstantially kind of similar right they were both unceremoniously dumped via a big portal onto um etheria and they had to functionally build their life out of nothing you know they both have massive like inadequacy like complexes they both feel like they have a ton of like pressure on them to you know live up to these expectations to prove people wrong to you know get to to basically pull off this massive world-changing 
like endeavor you know in in one direction or another and it's basically all on them and they they don't even feel necessarily and, and this this particular episode is good for pointing this out too because they're both experiencing a lack of control like um adora very specifically talks about after they get thrown in the huntara pit which by the way they get thrown in the huntara pit um and she talks about how like she wasn't really listening to them and she was just barreling ahead because she really wanted to feel like she had some modicum of control after the whole like oh by the way you're an alien and also like you've been chosen you don't have any control over your life you're just gonna do what you were destined to do you know she wanted to have some input on what's going on with her you know Bordak by the same token uh very similarly is kind of feeling this in in this instance right now right he is he is trying very hard to like get this portal completed to to have some input on on his miserable little garbage life uh, that he has created for himself, really. Like, bear in mind, he created this misery for himself a little bit here. Don't feel too bad for him. But, like, you know, he he's trying to he's trying to keep, like, some modern control over it, and he feels like he's failing really miserably, and there's no, like, explanation for it in his mind other than he is just a failure. But uh, Entrapta has some choice words for him. Yeah, so... During the whole time he was monologuing his backstory, basically, she is uh, throwing something together in the lab. But there's a very funny line where he like he like realizes she's doing that, and she's like, "I it's fine. I was listening. I just got. I'm just doing something real quick." Um, she basically like makes him a new exoskeleton, and and while she's doing so, she's like, "I don't buy any of that stuff. Failure." doesn't you know a failure isn't like a moral failing if you like can't do something right look at emily she's a weird robot that kept blowing up but like failure is what makes experimentation possible and then she's like i i I think failures are wonderful and turns around there's this (laughs) this shot of her like surrounded by sparks and light smiling at him it's uh yeah it's like it's it's not exactly subtle, but we'll we'll, we'll talk about some of the implications of yeah, that a little later. Like, and so she she just builds him this new exoskeleton powered by first one's tech, um, and he's 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 flexing his muscles. He's really enjoying it. And he's like, uh, then he realizes he should probably thank her for all of this. Uh, so he says he says like uh, this was very technologically sound yeah this is technologically sound you are not a failure don't let anyone ever tell you you're a failure anyone who denies your prowess is a fool and she's just like thanks i'm really glad i'm your friend too and just kind of and just kind of pats him on the head yeah there's also a moment when she's doing that when they're doing the iron man suit up thing um where Entrapta calls herself a failure, and immediately Hordak just goes like, "Wait, you're not a you're not a failure." Uh, and Entrapta shifts him. I, I just realized that. Oh my god, it's really good. Just instantly, he's like, "Wait, no." <laughs> it's uh, it's quite good. Their friendship, I've said before, is one of my favorite aspects of this show. It really it really sold me on Hordak as a character. Yes. No. I 
I I love their friendship. It's really, really good. Like, Hordak as a character is really, really hard to write for in any way other than he's just a big, like, dumb emo man who's playing at being a dictator because that's what his big brother did. And, like, it's, like, how, how do you bring him out of that shell like in any way right well you have to somehow introduce somebody into the mix who is going to engage with him and kind of make him slightly more of a person and like i think i think it works really well like wordak is not a likable character but like his his engagement with entrapta is really enjoyable like it makes him much more interesting and like more well-rounded as a as a like a character to engage with and it's it's pretty it's pretty cool it humanizes him a lot uh which was weird to say about like a, a bat guy big scary bat clone man um but it, it really does it humanizes him so speaking of you know uh, growing as a person, Antara and her and her two uh, hench gals here are, are, are enjoying their spoils, but Antara really doesn't seem all that pleased uh, with 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 it. Um, she's just kind of holding the sword and is, is not really is being a real grump. She's being a real grump about about the whole affair. She's like, you know. She just, she got a cool sword, she got a bunch of funny arrows, you know, like, they got, they got some spoils, like, you know, you'd think she'd be pretty pleased about the, this, this turn of events, but it turns out, Antara doesn't really necessarily like doing this kind of stuff, like, in her mind, the way she justifies it is she's like, I'm doing what I have to do to protect all of us. And I think largely this is, like, a function of her being, like, really afraid of the Horde still. Like, she ran away from the Horde, right? She's She is a Horde defector, kind of. Well... She is. Defector's actually the wrong word. She is a Horde deserter. deserter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, she deserted. And she specifically ran away to the Crimson Waste. And now she's kind of got, like, a home here. And she specifically wants to make sure that home doesn't get ruined. So, you know, she makes sure that anybody who's coming in that's an outsider is getting, you know, dropped in a hole and left to die or some other various means of taking them out. And, you know, but she doesn't like exactly take pleasure in the fact that she has decided to just throw, you know, three like 20 year olds in a hole and said, go die <laughs> yeah it's not exactly a, a glorious victory or anything like that um so yeah she like kind of freaks out on the goat uh lady who's like i'm not i'm not scared of anything i'm not running from anything i did what i had to do and that's when the gang uh hops in and, and starts and starts you know kicking butt here um the uh the, the the interesting thing about the crimson waste is that it's its reputation as completely uninhabited is really the thing that protects it from uh, being dragged into the war at all, like no one knows anything. Anything is out here, and presumably whoever goes out here either stays there or dies. Like they either think, "Wow, this place is actually all right," or they just die out here. Yeah, yeah. So there's this fight. Um, I think the only remarkable part of it is the the fight between Nadora and Huntara. The other two, the other two like hench ladies, uh, really get knocked down pretty quickly by Bone Glimmer. Um, 
but there's this fight that Adora and Huntara have, and this is where, you know, not enough uh, shows, not enough action shows like this use headbutting. It's very, it's 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 very impactful. I like a good headbutt. Yeah, right. Like it's a good move. Like okay, objectively, it's a really bad move. Like don't ever headbutt somebody. Like trust me, it's a bad idea. You'll have a really bad headache. But but in but in shows pretty sick i mean huntara has a pretty tough head to be fair i mean that's true she is kind of like she's a pretty tough giant purple lady she's probably got a thick skull she'll be fine and we even see it when adora when adora headbutts her she like stumbles back for a minute because yeah obviously there's recoil on that move oh yeah big time uh, but she recovers pretty quick. So, yeah, so Huntara has Adora's sword, and Adora has Huntara's like sharpened staff. And by the way, the staff is a is a tell that Huntara used to be from the Horde because it is made out of the same bow staff that Adora used in the first episode. Yeah, actually, it is. It's like it's that um, like collapsible bow staff, but like the bottom of it doesn't um telescope out only the top does and specifically she has like taken presumably like a very sharp knife and carved this metal staff into a big sharp pointy stick it's like it's pretty good actually yeah and the dora she steals it um but she doesn't know how to like activate the sharp thing <laughs> no so it creates this situation where huntara is screaming and running out her with a giant claymore and she's just like frantically shaking it up and shaking this little thing up and down trying to get the sword to open and it does it like literally the last possible second she nearly brains herself on it because like she's shaking it and looking at it, never look at a thing that telescopes outward uh, if you're trying to get it. Uh, no. Especially not when it is literally a giant spike of sharp, like, shaved metal. It'd be like if, if, if Obi-Wan gave Luke the lightsaber and the, the he just, like, instantly, accidentally uh, activated it right into his forehead and died. God. Um, that, that's a Saturday Night Live joke right there. I'm pretty sure there's like five different Star Wars parody jokes. Like every single God. one does it. Um, yeah, like all of them have done that one. So yeah, she rarely nearly does that, but luckily avoids it at the last minute. And they have this fight. Uh, Adora gets the upper hand, gets the sword back, and, and uh, Huntara, they, Huntara recognizes the word uh, Shira, which is interesting because, you know, as as Adora reveals, obviously she's from the Horde. So how did she know that? Yeah, no, like so. It turns out that uh, she's she's heard the name Shira before, but she didn't know it was like a person. Um, before we get to the 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 reveal of exactly how she knows uh, what Shira is, though, uh, what's very important is this just really sick sequence, like maybe the second best like transformation sequence in the whole show frankly where she's just like know about she-ra ha i am she-ra and she like pulls the sword in front of her face and then turns it so the edge is like right in the middle of her her face and like bisects it like visually and it's just really cool and she immediately just turns into she-ra and she's towering 
over Huntara, pointing her sword under her chin and lifting it up towards her. Oh my god, it's amazing. The cinematography. The only way it could have been cooler is if she did like a cool arm thing with the sword, like she, you know, held it above her head or something. Yeah. Or like some or some like hair flowing like in front of her eye or something maybe. Oh, yeah. Like obviously that's not going to happen right now cuz she's got the tiara thing on, but like it would still be really cool. So yeah, then uh, we get the the scene where where Adora basically convinces Huntara like no, you, like I got I get it. The horde is bad and it, it's scary, but you do, you don't have to like run from the war entirely. We need we need we need help, and you're you know big and strong, and you're the only one who knows what we came here uh, to do. Yeah, like one of the one of the things right is that. You know, Huntara, you know, she ends up leaving and also feeling like she has to, she has to, like, stay in the Crimson Waste because she feels completely isolated. She feels alone. Like, she's protecting the people of the Crimson Waste from the outsiders, but she can't trust any of them. None of them are her friends or or her family or even really her allies. They're really more just partners of convenience, you know, partners in crime or whatever. Um, so she feels, you know, she sees She-Ra, she's Adora, and she's like, you know, just because you're a tall, shiny, sparkly, like, Amazonian warrior princess doesn't mean you can destroy the Horde all by yourself. And she's like, yeah, you're right. That's why I'm not doing it by myself. That's why we have the entire rebellion, and you can help us. Yeah, and uh, so the episode ends with them going to the ship. Apparently the thing that has been putting it, well, we know the thing that's putting it the signal is that ship because we saw it in a, in a stinger earlier but the characters learn oh it's a ship it's a spaceship it's a big old spaceship and they're gonna be uh kind of spelunking their way into that next time and yeah so that's huntara a very fun episode a surprisingly funny episode despite all of the rough and tumble action um We've got some questions here on Curious Cat. Thank you all for sending these in. Some of these are going to be for later uh, in the season, but we've got a few here. So, uh, we've got one here. All of these are from Anonymous Curious Cat for users. We'll start with this one. Do you think Hordak was actually Prime's top general or just another clone? And how did a portal randomly open up and send him to Etheria? That seems wrong. Yeah, it's like... It's really weird, right? So... I think I think Hordak probably was definitely like Prime's top general. I think that's like that's almost certainly true. Um, we can't go like too into detail on like the details of like Horde Prime's kind of command structure because that's like way later in the show. But um, but yeah, almost certainly he was he was a pretty respected member of uh of the the galactic horde as far as the portal is concerned neither of us actually remember much about the whole portal thing like or why he ended up in a portal he might have just did that i've watched this show in its entirety probably four different times maybe five and I just can't remember what's up with that portal. I don't remember if we ever get an explanation for it. Um, but as of right now, yeah, it's just strange that he just he just 
gets randomly portaled to Etheria, seemingly. Yeah, it's really, really weird. It's like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this was in the Light Hope special. Who's to say? Who's to say? So, um, we've got another one here. This is a, a three-pointer here. So, let's, let's go down the list here. Uh, number one. Why slash how are there big dragon and crocodile bones in the Crimson Waste? When did these creatures exist, and how long ago did they die? We also see some skeletons with the Horde insignia. Do you think it was someone sent there to die, or from a huge battle from the first Princess Alliance? Um, so on the second point, I think the skeleton we see in the Horde armor was someone sent in exile. I don't think there have ever been any battles fought over the Crimson Waste. Uh, it's possible this was an exiled person. I kind of wouldn't agree on that, actually. See, the thing that makes me say that is that there's really no other bits of destroyed Horde technology. Like, what I think of is is um the opening of The Force Awakens, where we're on Jakku and you just see all of these destroyed, like, Imperial War Machines dotting uh, the planet's surface from, like, a, a, a Generations Ago battle. Like, there's just like, a, there's just, like, a crashed Star Destroyer on this planet. If there was a big battle involving the Horde and the Princess Alliance and the Crimson Waste, I would expect a lot more, like, rusting out hulks that were being picked apart for, um, for scrap. But there's really none of that. No, yeah. Like, I, I extremely don't think that this was, like... A, uh, a remnant of a battle i think we would definitely see a lot more like like destroyed skimmers and maybe like tanks or whatever like like no there was not a battle it's literally just this one guy but the fact that the guy is in full horde regalia like full armor leads me to think that while it's possible this was like a like an exile i am really more inclined to believe that this might have been like a scout like fairly early on um in the horde's kind of occupation of of etheria like perhaps this was before like hordak necessarily believed the crimson waste was like a death trap because of course he had no information about the plan i imagine he probably sent a lot of scouting parties out once he had like a foundation like a foundational army he probably did a lot of scouting so i imagine there are probably more than a few dotted horde corpses from like this era of him like trying to figure out what's going on and like you know finding out hey i sent like seven parties out to the to the waste and they never came back guess that's a bad idea yeah or someone just came back with a horrible story like all of the the entire scouting platoon just got murdered by some horrible monster, and Hordak says, "Ah, not bothering with that." Yeah, rather rather smart smartly. Um, as far as like the gigantic like dragon and crocodile bones, um, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a dinosaur situation, probably. Like I imagine the Crimson Waste maybe at some point was like, you know, maybe it was like a lush verdant forest. And then it became a big desert and, you know, all the, the big creatures who live there died and, you know, many, many, many millions of years ago or something. It's, it's, that's, that would be my guess. Like, probably pre, like, um, pre-first one, even. Yeah. I'll actually have a bit more to say about that in the spoiler zone, I think. Um, 
so stay tuned, I guess. So, second point on this question. We learned that Huntara ran away from the Horde and got the same training as Adora. Probably training only for high-ish up cadets, not normal soldiers. Due to Huntara's great fighting ability and training, do you think that she was a Force Captain? Does that mean Scorpia would have known Force Captain Huntara? Ooh, that's a good one. I, I think probably, yeah. And the reason that I say this is she has like a really specific line when she's talking about her time with the Horde in that the reason that she left was because Hordak was sending all of these good soldiers to die in a pointless war for no reason, and he had no care for any of the people under his command, right? And I think that that kind of attitude, while that is definitely something that could come up from, like, rank-and-file soldiers, I think that is definitely like a, like a, you know like a low-ranking officer's opinion that is like you know somebody who has a group of people under their command and cares about them and does not want them to die and then is forced to send them out on missions that are almost certain death traps and like that would probably make her feel like she needs to leave that that would so yeah i would agree probably a force captain yes uh, I don't know if Scorpio would have known her. I don't know exactly the age of differential. Huntara seems like she's a bit older than them, so maybe they wouldn't have known her. Yeah. No, she seems like, to me, Huntara reads like mid 30s, yeah. maybe late 30s. Like, she is, a, she is a seasoned lady. Yeah, so maybe they would have vaguely known about her during their training. And there was probably a. Uh, you know, a, a no talk about her rule once she deserted. Oh, almost certainly. That seems to be the way of things, right? Like, you know, post post Adora leaving, it seems like she's also kind of on the don't talk about this person list. Um, part three. Interesting how the rebellion always empowers normal people who can't think they have an impact. First with the Bakers, then Lance and George, and now Huntara. Yeah, it's pretty... I don't know if Huntara like normal she's very large yeah this is true she is she's not quite she's not normal she's a genetic freak you know you look at you look at you look at huntara and you look at hordak and <laughs> scott steiner math <laughs> uh if you haven't seen scott steiner math stop listening to this right now and go look up on youtube scott steiner math it's uh it's a it's a beautiful clip it's it's wonderful uh-huh it's amazing um but yeah so yeah it's really cool the rebellion like is is always empowering people who think they can't have an impact who think that they're like either they're they're too small or they're too like damaged or that like they you know one individual person can't make a difference and really this is kind of the heart and soul of any like popular uprising is like specifically going to the disenfranchised of which you know the bakers lance and george huntara they're all fairly disenfranchised for one reason or another you know you go to them and you tell them specifically you know the if, if you if you take that that energy and you focus it along with other people and you and you collaboratively work together and and you coordinate you can multiply the effectiveness of of your actions a hundred thousand times you can you can 
as one person alone not really make that much of a difference but as one person as part of a unit you can make a much larger impact and the rebellion uh does like does this pretty well they're really good at the whole winning hearts and minds thing so i think they're pretty much best at um yeah it's like she-ra is, is really a thing that sort of brings people together yeah sure she's a huge you know eight foot tall super lady but like she can't do it all alone that's really been established um yeah i i do quite like that aspect of the rebellion it really it really does feel like a a, a popular uprising yeah it works really well so we got one here another anonymous one I mostly forget what happens in this one, but I like how much characterization these functionally background characters get. And I feel like there were somebody in the writing room's babies, um, the, the non-Huntara, like, toughs, her, like, hench ladies. And I agree. I love... These two characters don't even have names, but I know a lot about them just from the, like, the brief time they get on screen. Yeah, no, I love them a lot. They're really, really, really good, like they you can tell that a lot of the background characters in this show are definitely somebody's like like that's their character like that's that's their child that they built and they and they really 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 care about them and i think definitely the the like uh frog lady and the goat lady those two definitely definitely are somebody's like special characters that they that they really put their heart and soul into and gave a lot of like characterization to and it's i i really love that about the show right like i think and again we we make this comparison a lot like we do you know um but between the show and like steven universe which both of these shows kind of approach background characters in a very different way where steven universe feels that um the correct way to like fill out the world yeah to fill out the world to 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 make these background characters feel more complete they have to be given like a a compelling like narrative arc and be given like a a time like an actual time slot on the show like maybe even several episodes dedicated to them when you know you don't necessarily have to do that for like every single side character you introduce that's part of the supporting cast like you can you can do a lot of characterization without specifically setting aside the narrative time to kind of work through that and that's not to say that the concept is bad but it's very important to know when to leave a side character as like a side character versus a character that gets like a full arc and i think that this show's really good about that like it it gives these background characters compelling designs and and behaviors and inflections and attitudes but they don't necessarily have to be more than that and they can fill that role and it works really well and you know also it's great if you feel like you want to like you know write something about them later you know whether that be in an official or unofficial capacity like you have a foundation for it you don't have to shove it all in the show itself and it's, and i think it's good the show's very streamlined in this way the frog lady is my favorite she's got four arms she does have four arms and she's also got some pretty sick eyeliner yeah i i also like the, the scumbag goat too though she's pretty fun <laughs> she's awesome yeah she's she's my favorite i like her so we got one more 
question here. Question? Question mark question? From an anonymous curious catcher user. It simply says this. Big. That's all it says. It says big. The period. Yeah. You're right. She is. Yeah. She's she's pretty big. big. She's she's very, very large. This is the number one thing people are saying. Uh, this is number this is number one thing everyone's saying about Huntara. She's large. Five five out of five stars, uh ten out of ten. She's huge. Alright. So that'll bring us to the end of our questions here for this episode. Uh thank you everyone thank you everyone for sending them in. Um we have a Patreon that we do uh, at the end of every main segment before the spoiler zone. So if you don't know uh, by now, which would mean you're listening to this episode for the first time, in which case you should probably go back uh, and listen to the rest of them. Yeah, probably. We got a Patreon. Um, we got some fun stuff over there. You can uh, pledge $3 and we uh, you'll get access to our two side uh, content uh, podcasts. Those are what those are called. You got the Kipo cast, where we watch Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts. And we've got the Owl cast, where, uh, if you can believe it, we watch the Owl House. Yeah, both are super fun. They've got kind of similar vibes to She-Ra. We, you know, we felt like they would they would be like a nice fit, like with the with the vibes that, you know, that She-Ra's got going on. Uh, they're both great. Uh, we also have some other side content on there. We're going to be putting out more side content, of course. Um, look out for the uh, Fire Princess book. We'll be, we'll be doing that next as like the, the, the bonus thing that we do. Uh, we also met our first stretch goal, which is we are going to kind of aggregate some fun fan content, kind of a little like video podcast where we... Uh, we show some like you know some AMVs, some like comics, some fan art, and just kind of shout people out and like just kind of luxuriate in the contents. Yeah, expect that in the coming weeks. Um, I think we should also do a minisode on that fanfic that Noel Stevenson wrote. Yes, that is absolutely on the way. Uh, though that will probably be towards uh, season five, since that it, it's. It's kind of a it's kind of a big deal that one. Yes, um, but yeah, we've got a couple of other stretch goals we're still working on meeting. Um, we got at uh, was like sixty dollars. I'm I'm thinking about moving some of these down. So, but currently at sixty dollars, we got uh, every month we'll do a riff on an old She-Ra cartoon from the eighties because there's just a lot of wild stuff that happens and it's really fun to crack jokes about it. Oh yeah, big time. And then the other one I think is currently 120, um, and that is doing a one shot of the uh, Firebrand hack, the Shira hack of that system, and it's uh, like a one shot tabletop campaign that we would we we would be doing, um, which would be pretty nice. Called for the honor. For the honor. If you're interested in hearing a little bit about that, you can find the episode of Strangers Fiction. That I guessed it on. Um, you can find them over at uh, Strangers Fic Pod on Twitter. Um, they did a couple of episodes in For the Honor. I'm on the one called Reunions in the Wilds. Yes, check that out if you uh, if you feel like checking out some good good podcasts and some good uh, side Shira content. And uh, as well, if you donate to three dollars, our Force Captain tier, you also get uh, shoutouts in every episode 
which happens right here. So thank you. Uh, shout out to our newest patron, Jacko Nuro. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, joined uh, this past Tuesday. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And of course, the rest of our force captains, Olivia, Andres Lozano, Brittany Ray, Michael Steiner, Tara Stark, TCO, Murderbot, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, Robert Harris, and Danielle Dupont. Yeah, thank you guys very much for your continued support. It means a ton to us. Yes, thank you so much. Um, but with that, uh, I think that'll bring us to the end of the the normal segment. So let's get into a little bit of the uh, the spoiler zone, shall we? We shall. So if this is uh, this is where you're getting off, have a good one. But if you'd like to catch the spoilers, we'll see you on the other side. of this one's gonna be pretty simple this is all about entrapta and hordak yeah it's this episode is kind of like it's a it's a big one it's a real big one for the whole hordak and entrapta relationship here it's also i would argue this is the episode that probably like created entrapta the romantic ship like this is this is where most people probably pick that up on Mostly due to the fact of that one very specific shot. <laughs> where she... I mean, look at it. Like, I can understand it. I am not personally... That's not my taste. It's fine. It's whatever. It's you yeah. like entrapped at go for like, it. Like it's it's fine. It's fine. I like neither neither of us are particularly big entrapped at fans, but like I like them much more as friends. Um, yeah. Besides, we besides we all know. There's only one. There's only one girlfriend trapped in it, and it is Darla. It is Darla. Um, it's it. It is very much Darla. I can't wait to get to that episode. Oh my god, she's she's so outrageously horny for that spaceship. It's insane. It is next level. The f-ing, the. F-ing uh, we're gonna spend some quality time together eyebrow raise and yeah, turning and on the, slams the door <laughs> and everyone just kind of stands there for a minute before walking away just kind of just kind of taking all that in oh my god D- listen those episodes those those episodes of like like post catra rescue to like before they get to like actually i think that one is pre-catcher i think the one with, the, with that scene is episode four the uh, the star siblings episode is it oh you're right it is yes but yeah like that that whole section where it's like the space adventures episodes that is like it's one of my favorite bits so. that is the oh those those are some of the best episodes in the whole show frankly like obviously the back half of season five is also phenomenal but like just the space adventures are like uh i if we get a shira movie 
I just want it to be like more fun space adventures. I want them to all get up in Tharla and go fly off somewhere and have a fun time. Yeah, like that's all it really needs to be. Like I said, I still want them, them to make my movie idea where they land on an abandoned planet with nothing but Skeletor on it. Now see, what if it's like, what if it's a road trip movie where they pick up Skeletor and they have to take him <laughs> take him somewhere? And he's giving terrible oh, directions. Oh my god. And of course, it has to be just normal, goofy cartoon Skeletor. I don't want any of this serious Skeletor nonsense. I don't want any of this, like, He-Man 2005 reboot Skeletor. No, it's got to be this Skeletor! If he's not talking like this, then it's pointless! Yeah, like, just... That'd be so good. We got sidetracked. We're talking about Entrapped Act. Yeah, we're, tra- we're talking about Entrapped Act, who, to be fair, Hordak and Skeletor do share some similarities, but... That's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're not nice. I am not nice. <laughs> they're very much not nice. So, Entrapped really becomes kind of the main anchor for Hordak's character, like, throughout the rest of this. It's the thing keeping him, like from well i guess he goes he he does go wild with it at the end of season four where he gets a Mega Man arm cannon and just starts blowing things up but in season five it is like entrapta is the thing keeping him from fully subsuming into the hive mind yes entrapta is the thing that is is keeping him from like just falling headfirst into in into the into the situation that he's found himself in and He's he's not sure of his position, right? But Entrapta is kind of the 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 star by which he's kind of sailing his boat and trying to like find land. Yeah, like it is the it is the one genuine human connection he has made with another person in his entire life. It, this is the first one. He's he is just holding on to that for dear life um, throughout the entire show. Yeah, it actually. And this this is going to kind of tangent a little bit, but it actually um, is interesting to look at, like, the way Hordak is with Entrapta versus the way wrong Hordak is with Entrapta. It's kind of like, it's a snapshot of how Hordak would have been as a completely fresh clone who has not had to deal with like all of the hardships that Hordak had to deal with with like his defect and like being tossed onto like a a planet to go die like you know and then spending like probably 30 40 years building up a army from nothing and then all of that stuff like you know he's it's like an interesting just insight into like Hordak as a character as to like what his kind of his baseline was before he was kind of turned into a, a pretty monstrous monster yeah and because he was separated from the hive mind for so long he really formed his his own identity which is of course uh forbidden it's quite forbidden um it's, it's very very bad for you to like you know create a, an, a you know an emo persona and 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 kind of give yourself a name like that in particular is like a huge huge no-no in the galactic horde you can't have a name names are like exceedingly forbidden only one guy gets to have a name and that's horde prime and even then frankly horde prime is not really a good name it's not even really a name frankly like a position yeah it's like 
I mean, you know what? Probably at some point, like millions of years ago, he had a real name. He just forgot it. <sighs> well, he like he chose to 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 forget it, right? Like he didn't like his old name. I, I bet his old name was really lame. Oh yeah, for sure. Because um, we also know about Horde Prime is that like he doesn't have infinite memory space. Like he's he can he can transfer his consciousness consciousness between bodies. But there's only so much, like, physical RAM a brain has, so he's got to kind of leave some stuff out. Like, he keeps the old bodies around in case he needs to cross-section uh, cross something. Yeah, it's actually really interesting because that's, like, an actual, that's, like, a real thing. Is like, your, your brain can only store so many memories. There's, like, there's a point where you can just no longer store them. So that's that's kind of cool that that's, like, a thing that's accounted for in this, in that, like he just keeps around old like corpse bodies that are all like old and frail and like barely being kept alive just so he can kind of mind meld with them and like relive memories if he needs them yeah it's i really like that scene a lot Hort prime really cool i can't wait to talk more about him yeah no he's very cool it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun when we we start really getting to kind of talk about him more we'll probably get to talk about him a lot more in the portal episode because that's kind of i think the first time we even see him like actually on screen yeah the first time we see him and the first time we see his general aesthetic yes his general aesthetic which is very intimidating vaguely like vaguely churchy vibes oh i wouldn't say it's vaguely churchy it's extremely churchy yeah i was gonna say vaguely catholic vibes but then i was like is it that catholic it's i don't think it is i think they explicitly said they they base it on like big evangelical mega churches. yeah right? see i don't see i don't have a lot of experience with evangelical mega churches but um you know that's that that tracks for me that feels that feels right see see i i got the i got the catholic trauma you know <laughs> the 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 gilded kind that comes with all of the the fancy little nubbins on the walls we'll talk much more about uh horde prime and how he's just a, a huge uh symbol of religious trauma later when he's more relevant for now let's hit a couple of the questions of uh, the, or the couple of aspects of the questions that we didn't quite answer in the first half yeah so the big skeletons um, I think it is very uh, possible that there were indeed like megafauna on Etheria that fed on the planet's magic. But once the first ones arrived and started, you know, chaining all that stuff down, they died out. Um, because we see in season five, those big grass boars from Mara's flashback are all still alive, but they're all hibernating. And, you know, those those are only, those are large animals, but they, I wouldn't necessarily call them, you know, megafauna. Um, but these things are pretty large, and so I would imagine that removed from any magical sources they would need to survive, uh, they would die out pretty quickly. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. I really didn't think about that, but that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, we also know that the planet of Etheria was much more lush in its past. It was dramatically greener. There was dramatically more plant growth. It's entirely possible that the Crimson Waste was not nearly as bleak as it is now it's entirely possible that a lot of it was not desert in fact like ethereum may be undergoing 
like a bit of desertification as a result of like the massive sweeping like geoengineering that was done to the planet yeah um i I, that's the kind of the vibe i get from the these big skeletons so the second thing is the part of the question about hordak really being his general horde prime's general i'm unsure about this because it could very easily be that like every clone thinks they're the most important one right that's true that's true right like because every clone does kind of seem to have that opinion of themselves. like he does kind of take that position in season five once he's you know supposedly all good and brainwashed where he's like kind of he's kind of horde prime's right hand but like they're interchangeable there's nothing that sets them apart the thing that sets hordak apart is that he's a bad clone because he doesn't conform perfectly yeah no he's set apart in a bad way but yeah like there is a military hierarchy like there is a chain of commands but these positions are largely slot in slot out you just put a guy in there to fill the position not necessarily there's not really a sense of like meritocratic promotion it's kind of just you put the clone that you think is the best clone in this you know like your your actual like acts and deeds don't seem to matter an enormous amount to horde prime and i think like part of the reason that a lot of the clones probably do feel very much because like when you when you see um wrong hordak right and he talks about horde prime like the way that he talks about him like he's he's not just the leader you know not just like a benevolent leader or whatever but like he's he's both a father and and a brother and like a messiah to them like he's the only family they have and that they'll ever need he cares about them he loves them he wants nothing but but the best for them all he asks in return is undying unwavering obedience on every conceivable level you know which to them that seems like a pretty good deal so they're you know they they feel very there's a very personal connection between horde prime and the clones and you know it kind of makes sense because you know you look at him being based on like these big larger than life kind of evil you know christian like church runners or whatever like he's charlemagne yeah charlemagne or like your your joel olsteins or whatever you know they they kind of they they make you feel like you know, you're just, you're sitting down in a room just with them you know it's like you're you're in a massive room full of a thousand 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 people and like but you know these individuals like they feel like it's just them in the room and they're they're the best friends in the world and all this kind of stuff there's it's a very there's there's a very insidious personalization to the way that horde prime and and the people he's based on try to worm their way into your head exactly like horde prime is probably one of the most well-realized kind of you know grand symbology villains i've seen from a show like this because so let's talk about let's talk about horde prime a little bit let's what are what are some of the other uh his his contemporaries right ozai ozai isn't really anything uh, as a character he's he's basically a natural disaster like 
he doesn't represent anything other than complete destruction. Yeah, he's he's a name and a face that has been applied to the general, like, threat of massive critical imperialism that's just on the doorstep. Yeah, um, and otherwise he's just like a he's just like a, a crazy guy who yells about power and stuff. The diamonds from Steven Universe get way too muddled. I don't know what they're about anymore at the end of the show. Who knows what they represent? Yeah, they like, yeah, they get very muddled. They're like, they, yeah, they, they, they try to, they, one of the philosophies they went into with that show was specifically the idea that no one is a real villain. And that's like, it's kind of a bad approach to take when like the lore and like the world building you've developed are that they're a bunch of like (laughs) horrible imperialists. There's a very big difference in between saying evil is banal and human, which is true, and also no one is a real villain, which is false. Yeah, it's not. It's not really how it works. Like, if you want, if you want to do nobody is a villain, like you can do a story like that, and yeah. that's and that'll work. You just can't. You can't make you it just about can't make them dictators. You can't make them, and they like really, they really, really tripped over themselves because. It, it was a it was the kind of thing where they didn't know where they were, where they were going at the start and so they made the like the gems too much of an empire like maybe if they knew where they were going from the start they could have done something else with the diamonds but they didn't yeah it was almost like they decided halfway through production that they wanted to subvert the idea of like having them be villains and making them like sad but they were already half finished with production so they kind of had to backfill a lot and it it doesn't work very well yeah Uh, are there any other um, um, there's probably like another sort of contemporary right another figure another character that kind of occupies the same kind of space as as uh horde prime uh, I'm trying to think, but like... What I'm trying to say is that Horde Prime is both like a good and fun villain and also an extremely well-realized metaphor for what they were trying to go for. Yeah, exactly. He's he is a, he is a well-realized picture of a villain. And then you have uh, Hordak, who I think also kind of has this... He fills like the secondary role. He becomes this like this the second half to the coin. He's given the 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 screen time and the development necessary to take him from he is a cartoonish bad guy to he is actually a monster to he is a monster who has a tragic backstory to he is trying to like be a human and you know kind of move on from from where he was at and like the show doesn't ever i think bog itself down in the nitty-gritty of like should entrapta be friends with hordak or like you know is hordak redeemed in the eyes of the other characters like i think you know the show doesn't really get bogged down in those particular questions because i think largely those questions like they don't really matter right like that's not what they're about exactly exactly what's the more important thing is that 
you know you specifically have this character who is like being rounded in such a way as that it is not contradictory to the setup and the previous actions they've done because like hordak learning to be a more complete person does not contradict all of the stuff he's previously done and you know i think that there's a really large ocean of difference between that and then you know like willfully trying to like sidestep like like past actions you know what i mean yeah like the diamonds were sort of defanged and turned into something completely different by the end of steven universe but hordak's arc is very clear from the start hordak and and horde and horde prime especially is like very he is never humanized at all he is just a monster he is he is exclusively a monster they kill him he is one of I wonder how many characters actually get straight up murked in this show. I don't think it's very many. It's two. It depends on if you can Angela or not. Um, but it is, I believe it is just Shadow Weaver and Horde Prime. Yeah, so Shadow Weaver and Horde Prime get straight up murked. And, um, and Horde Prime is murked by the main character. He is evaporated literally we're just like yeah you gotta go just gone and it's and it's it's not it's not like an ambiguous thing like he dissolves on camera it's like a whole thing yeah like his 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 essence is completely obliterated it is not like oh maybe he's still out there so no, no he even gone. has a line that's like i'm too perfect to die or something like that <laughs> and Adora just says no you aren't and then kills him <laughs> yeah it's it's really really good can't do this on etheria and then she obliterates him yeah just just completely deletes the dude um but yeah like it is it's it's one of those things where again this show is like i think pretty decent like like pretty good even about the idea of like a character doesn't necessarily redemption in and of itself isn't like a given it's not a given and it's also a very fluid thing and it's not something that is like very easily like core defined and um it's also a much longer process than like a show is capable of really working through especially when it's something that's happening towards the back half of it like you know at the end of the show hordak is very much like nobody really wants to be around him at all they're all very uncomfortable with him and they don't really like him the only person who actually wants to stand near him is entrapped obviously like it's gonna take a grip for anybody to feel comfortable with him even being in the same room as them frankly and like that leaves space for people to write stuff about like you know fanfic or whatever you have you about him going on that long journey the um the character who gets the most time for that redemption obviously is Katra. But we can't talk about that yet. No, we can't talk about that yet, but that is a juicy well of content to dig into. Uh but that again, that'll be for a little later probably we'll probably dig into that a little bit at the end of season 3 actually because the portal episode is quite a uh, quite a dearth of Katra Katra content. It is a tipping point um in Katra's character, I think, and I I have a lot of thoughts about her her season four arc. 
extremely we'll get there we'll get there everyone don't worry we're you know the thing about season three is that we're a third of the way done with it yes we are we're we're very close and next week oh boy next week is Catra's Adventures in the Crimson Waste. Oh yes. This this is this is the peak. This is the tip of the Crimson Waste episodes right here. This this is the this is the good stuff. You know, like like Huntara is great. But uh if you if you want to see like like if you if you look at Adora and how she is in this episode and you're like, "Oh, that's pretty gay." No. Not. Nah. You've no idea. No clue. You wait till next week. You'll you'll see. Man, those episode that episode is incredible. Like it's amazing. Oh, I'm so excited. They get matching bad girl jackets. They sure do. Honestly, they don't wear them enough. That look is very strong for Catra. Uh, they could have just worn that for the rest of the show, and I would have been happy about it. Um, but that's not until next week where we get to talk about the matching bad girl jackets and all of the the gay activity that goes on in that episode. Yes, uh, but for now, I've been one of your hosts, Jane. And I've been the other host, Nero. And we'll see you on the other side of Pod Caspondos.